will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, I'm joined by the long-lost co-host. You know, we we wrote him off there for a while. Uh, Pat, how's yep. it going? I got fired, then I got unfired, so I'm back, I guess. So. <laughs> well, honestly, it was like, hey, we're going to be doing this, and you're like, yeah, I don't have time to do that. Essentially. <laughs> Uh, and of course we had our, our peak season with work and we were focused on getting Loki done and, uh, and then, you know, getting Avengers, uh, review out there, uh, recorded for everyone. So it's good to have you back and it's kind of good to be back to the horror roots, kind of what we started covering out, uh, at the beginning of the podcast. So get a break from Marvel stuff, although we'll be, you know, getting those Marvel what if reviews out, uh, shortly uh at some point but yeah we're uh we're covering a movie series i guess uh that we wanted to cover like right when it was coming out but with just work and schedules it really wasn't um doable for us to do it that's why we kind of stuck with the marvel stuff uh but we're covering fear street all three movies uh 1994 and 78 and 1666 um, obviously, since the movies have been out for a while on Netflix, we're going to be talking probably spoilers throughout the whole thing. Uh, and we don't really have a structure for how we want to address each film. I mean, like, we'll do our general kind of, hey, this is our thoughts about first one, second one, third one. But uh, since it is one complete story, it's going to be easier to talk about all the different things kind of uh, mixed together. So... Uh, with that said, um, general thoughts right now, Pat, from you, uh, just having watched it without really going into depths about the film, what did you think of this as, especially as a, a three part 
kind of weekly uh, series um, movie type thing. You know what I mean? I, I thought it was kind of a different idea. If you really think about it, they could have broken it up ep- episodically, done it as an entire like season thing rather than three movies. But I think it worked better as a three three movies, just kind of getting them out there, having one after the other each week. It, it worked for what it was. Um, I think the, the downfall, if, if any, of it is that the first movie was not strong. Like, I think out of all of them, it was definitely the weakest. Um, it's hard to kind of set a time period for 94. Like, they didn't really have a vibe or anything, whereas, like, in the 78, it kind of had, like, a classic slasher feel to it. And the uh, 66 kind of had, like, a classical, like, old-school vibe. Yeah, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. Um, like, with, especially considering that you and I both have, like, lived through the 90s. Like, so it's it's not, it's not really a time period for us because it's part of our past and whatnot. So outside of, like, them using kind of the 90s music... Uh, if you take the 90s music out of it uh, and kind of the mall atmosphere out of it, uh, you could still technically do the same movie um, pretty much. Whereas with the, you know, the 70s, you've got that classic uh, slasher feel to it, like a la Friday the 13th and uh, like Halloween um, or even um, oh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, the Burning uh, and then like 1666 being that period piece kind of similar to, uh, to, um, the crucible, you know, cause it's set kind of in the, the Salem witch trials era. So each one after 94 kind of had that more distinctive period piece feel. Not only that, but it also used like different film techniques that you would see like in movies kind of set with okay. time periods. Yeah, um, I, I kind of agree with you. I wouldn't say, for me, like, in general, 94 was not the worst, uh, I think, out of the bunch, although it might get ranked at the bottom, just considering how each of the other ones play out. But one thing I really liked about how they rolled this out and how they did it, because first off, I wasn't, like, too sold on the idea of them doing this three-part, you know, movie thing week by week and, and everything like that. Uh, especially kind of with Netflix, things can be hit and miss. And, and we've, we know Netflix has kind of an issue of, uh, maybe a high quality first thing and then a very low quality follow up and then eventually a cancellation or something like that. And kind of, for example, it, cause it saddens me when I, when I realize that they've done this, but you know, they had the haunting of Hill house and the haunting of Bly Manor, both very successful, both very, very good. And then they just decided to n- not do another one. Um, and so it's, Netflix is kind of becoming what they were the alternative to where networks were canceling programs, not giving them a shot. And then kind of Netflix really propped themselves up as this last bastion of, uh, uh, entertainment that wasn't just going to cancel because maybe not everyone was watching it all at the same time, but now they've kind of fallen into that role where you get a great first season of a show Jupiter's Legacy, uh, in my opinion, was really good. It had some weak moments, but it, it it really built up to something where I wanted to see a second season. And then they're like, nah, whatever. 
even though it was from all metrics, it was fairly successful, but then there was some, uh, you know, internal politics at Netflix that kind of was reason for it. And now they're doing a spinoff show focusing on the villains of that universe, which now to me, it's like, that doesn't make sense. But getting back to the topic at hand, um, I know I was talking with another friend about this. And one of the things that I really liked about the concept, especially once I watched the first one was, um, if you remember kind of, uh, the halcyon days of sci-fi on, on television where, uh, I can't remember. They usually did it twice a year. Or it was once a year where usually in the winter they would have kind of their mini series, um, month where, uh, they would like, release the first episode uh, of a of a mini series and it'd be about an hour and a half and then they'd either have another one or or two more episodes kind of of the same length uh and 10 man if you guys go back and listen to our review of 10 man 10 man was one of those and um and that was kind of nice like i liked that feeling of kind of communal watching like everyone was looking forward to next week to watch the next part and now that it's over it's kind of like man now i gotta fill that hole and Hopefully they might like continue this on. So it ultimately for someone as when I first kind of heard about the project and everything, I was like, eh, you know, it's it's going to be what it what it is. It's going to just be Netflix. But then I was very surprised and uh, I really enjoyed kind of the whole experience altogether. Um, so I can only hope Netflix continues it. I, th- I think they're kind of in talks to do that, but do like a part. Four? Not necessarily or a part four, but just to kind of do another a set, different, a different storyline. Right. Right. Um, especially considering like with that cliffhanger kind of ending, uh, I believe it was like a mid credits or end credits type thing. Uh, you know, they definitely set it up for, for a potential, uh, new set of stories. So I do like the concept and I think there's, it's been done correctly, I, especially with Hill House and Bly Manor, but it's also been done incorrectly. Um, I would say one of them that I could point to directly is American Horror Story, mm-hmm. where it's like you had the same cast pretty much throughout, and you had like a couple really good storylines up front, and then they just go to shit, and you're just like, okay, when do you call it quits? To be fair, that's yeah, that's not just endemic endemic to uh, American Horror Story. I, that can happen just even in standard television shows. Of course. So, you know, we've always seen that kind of decline in writing. CW superhero shows are kind of an example of that, where they started out really strong, and then within change in writing groups and change in in internal personal politics and stuff like that, have now kind of uh, hurt some of those shows, or you at least see a lesser degree of of engaging and captivating story writing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a risk and I really hope Netflix just doesn't go. Yeah, this is one and done, especially because one of my, uh, my biggest things is, uh, first time directors and I, I get it. I'm not a director, so I can't really say much to it on this, but, uh, first time directors are always risky, especially with whatever projects they may be doing. And, this uh, this director, I'm going to make sure I get their name right. Um, it is uh, Lee Janik, I believe is her name. Um, it, it, this was a really good kind of start for her. And I, I, I kind of think that this was, a, in a sense, um, 
kind of like a Mike Flanagan, who was the director on, on uh, Haunting of Hill House and everything. Uh, you know, he's kind of was like an underground horror director who had these really small hits and then landed these big, big names. And I, I'm really impressed with what Lee did here with this set of films, especially um, their run times, because I was not expecting each of these to run just a little under two hours. Uh, you know, I was maybe expecting an hour and a half and then it would just be whatever it was. Um, and there was really they allowed the story to kind of really flesh itself out and the characters to really grow and develop. One criticism I do kind of have with the way that the story is told by breaking it up by 1994, uh, then 78 and then 66 is I would have liked after having reached the final film, if, if it was done in a way to where then I could kind of rewatch them in chronological order. So watch 1666 first, then 1978 and then 94, but unfortunately, with how the story plays out, uh, especially with what it's set up in 94, you can't really do it that way. It'd be nice if they did a cut where right. they put everything in order. Um, one thing to add, this this isn't technically like her first directing mm -hmm. gig. She did a movie back in 2014 that I've never heard of called Honeymoon. Um, and she's also she also directed a couple episodes on the Scream TV series. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, um, then she definitely has uh, horror uh, credit in 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 my because I loved for I, for a show. Uh, let Let's be clear. Did she do it when it went to VH1 or was it? It, when, it was back when it was uh, on MTV. Okay, because. I have not gotten past the first episode of the VH1 kind of reboot. Yeah, of I never it. got around but to that. But that original run of, of was Scream fantastic. was... I, I was so shocked because when you told me that... Or, well, not you, but when I found out that there were they were doing a Scream TV show, they were changing the mask, it was going to be on MTV. Yeah, you had Wes Craven behind it, but it was I was like, no, nah, this isn't going to work. And then, bam, it sold me on it so quickly... So knowing that she was involved in that, uh, yes, then that definitely shows uh, in, in this uh, series as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about 1994. Um, part one, we get introduced to all of our characters, Dina, Sam, Josh, Kate, and so on and so forth. You know, it's going to be kind of interchanging throughout the, the movies. But um, the only real kind of complaint I have about this um, is the, the 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 attempt of a bait and switch on your who you believe Sam is because you know it's the start of and this isn't as much of a spoiler for the movie because it's within the, about the first 10 15 minutes of the film but it was really kind of like it was so obvious that the way that they just kept saying, oh, Sam, 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 Sam. And then, you know, they reveal that Sam is is another girl that they the writers were expecting you to just automatically assume that Sam was a guy and that Dina was all over, you know, broken up over another guy. And then it was, oh, no, nah, see what we did there. It was a girl. Ha ha ha. But that's really the only complaint I kind of had because it was the only time that the writing really felt like it was in front of my face where like I knew some type of bait and switch was coming. I knew it wasn't going to be just straightforward. And 
it, it was just like, it would have been fine if they just not had tried to do that. You know, it just felt very forced and it took me out of the film. What, what did you think of that? What, what if it was a guy named like Katie, like the entire time they were like Katie, Katie, Katie. And then it was a dude that might <laughs> surprise me. Cause it's not as typical that, you know, a you guy been, is named Katie. Like, you've been like, hold up. <laughs> well, it's Go like, I mean, I was in, I was in a training session at work the other day and we had someone named Carrie and they were a very deep monotone voice man. So, I mean, like it's, it's possible, but it just it felt too kind of like on the nose and like yeah we're trying to trick you and and I think that's very much why I think the first one wasn't written as well. Mm-hmm. It's not that like, it was poorly acted. I think that the acting across oh the I board, thought the cast did a fantastic the, job. the acting across the board for each film is consistent. They all do a great job. Um, it was just like the writing for the first one felt just off compared yeah. to the other two. I, I also think um, that it didn't necessarily do a good enough job of really kind of setting up the the story of the witch. Like, it, it felt very ancillary to it. I, I, I'll say this. I really enjoyed the opening scenes uh, with Maya Hawk in the mall. Um, I thought it was very clever. I thought it was very well done. And especially considering the twist that we find out in the part three, like it makes more sense about how those events kind of unfold the way that they do. Um, but outside of that, like they were so focused on, on that killer. And then like halfway through, once all the other previous killers are coming after them, then finding out, Oh, it's the witch. And then obviously with the witch, it's like, okay, there's going to be more to that. There's not, it's not as straightforward as their history has told them. Um, so yeah, it just, it felt like it was trying to kind of rush to set things up for those other two movies. I, I would say I was trying to find a way to put this and I think I kind of found a way that I think will explain it well. And, it, <laughs> and it's that each movie kind of gives you like breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yes. And you don't get like a full piece of bread until the end. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> really? Cause that's actually a very good, good way to set it. Cause like, you're really only getting pieces here uh, and and only very minor pieces. And then you get kind of more pieces in the second film and then everything unfolds. So if you were to sit down and watch this for a big like six hour jam, you you probably wouldn't have that issue with it because it would be it would flow more together for you and uh, you'd have a greater understanding. And that's kind of also what would ruin it if you tried to watch it in, in reverse. Yeah. Um, so, cause especially like, I, I do like how this, this particular one sets up, I believe, I know it's officer good, but I believe his first name's Nick. Uh, Nick good is like the good guy, you know, he's the one that, oh, he felt bad. He didn't listen to the kids. And then, you know, as we move forward throughout the series, we find out that there's more to that than we knew. And, uh, also with Jillian Anderson, uh, Jillian Anderson, that's, that's not right. Is it? Uh, Jillian Jacobs. Jillian Anderson is X-Files. Jillian Jacobs is Community. Get those two mixed up from time to time. But Jillian uh, Jillian Jacobs just about did it again. uh, You know, kind of gets introduced at the end of this movie. And one that survived survived from 78. 78. And then we get 78 story in the the second piece. Uh, Kills wise, I thought this was very good. I was surprised because i was like oh these are probably going to be like pg-13 style 
like kills. Right. And then like when it got to the one where like the head goes through the thing, the like meat chopper or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. was like, oh no, it's gonna be, it's gonna be <laughs> like this. That's cool. <laughs> well, one of my other things was like thinking, oh, like all of these guys are gonna make it out of there, and they're um, they're going to to you know, I guess move on through the story and the rest of their other manners, but it, it ended up being like, Oh no, they're not all going to survive from this point on. Cause like once, uh, once Kate got it, like with the whole meat grinder type situation, I was like, Oh shit. And then the other guy gets the ax in the head, uh, leaving just Josh and Dina being the like last two to try to survive and everything. Uh, well, outside of Sam doing whatever Sam's doing, cause they have to, like kill her, but bring her back. Um, once it like really kicked that gore level up and that kill level up, I was really kind of shocked that, uh, it went the route it went. So, uh, yeah. And then it basically ends on that kind of, uh, low note in the sense of like, Oh, they think everything's fine. Nick is like, well, I kind of, you know, are you sure there's not more you want to add here? I, you can't be telling me the complete truth. And then, uh, you know, Sam kind of defying her mother about seeing Dina. So you think you're getting that happy ending. And then all of a sudden now Sam is like possessed with the killer spirit or whatever. And uh, they go to Jillian Jacobs uh, house because she was the survivor. And um, and that sets up pretty much like part two. So, yeah, it's. I think what what the first what 94 really suffers from is it's it's just setting too much up for those other two movies, uh, rather than trying to tell one sing like what I, the way I would have approached this probably rather is that this would have been kind of the finale, mm-hmm. right? Like again, cause talking about how we should be able to play these out of chronological order or in chronological order, but they resolve everything in this one. And then you treat each of the other subsequent films as what happened in those prior events or whatever, something to that extent. And I, well, kind of like you're saying, the, the thing that the first one it, it tries to do is set up 66 and 78 simultaneously. Right. And it's just too much for that to kind of handle. Right. I think if they would have just set up 78 more and then kind of did 66 through 78, it would have worked better. Well, especially because 78, outside of like basically two sequences in, the, in that entire film is all set in 78 and all focused on one killer and one story. Whereas this is focusing on the witch's story. Then you've got the skull mask killer. Then you've got the, the milkman killer. Then you've got the, the girl uh, killer, uh, you know, and you've got all of the other killers kind of like all showing up. And when we have no context to that, it's really hard for us as an audience member to really like wrap our heads around what, what is actually happening right now and why is it happening and and what can these characters do to resolve it? Um, whereas when we get to, you know, 78 and for the most part, 66, it's solely t- telling those time period stories and and giving you kind of a, a cohesive start and end to those stories, whereas this is left on that cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on uh, from that, go right on into to 78. You know, we got... Um, Jillian Jacobs and she's telling them kind of why they won't be able to save Sam. And, uh, then it basically jumps into that 
time period. And, you know, we get the two sisters, all the camp counselors. Not going to go into the whole real plot of the movie. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. But I what I liked about uh, the Camp Nightwing story was just that it, it did feel like a throwback slasher. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I would have hate hated to have been in that outhouse with all those bugs. It's like you got your summer camp, typical kind of 70s storyline. You got the kids screwing, doing drugs. (laughs) Selling drugs to the community. (laughs) Well, and one of the things that I I will say that uh, even, even kind of in part one and in this part, it really is highlighting the differences between Shadyside and, and Sunnyvale is like that kind of class disparity because uh, Sunnyvale's always the good, you know, we're the good community, we're the rich guys and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we have nothing go wrong and everything goes wrong in Shadyside. And then it's kind of like a, why is that? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, like they kind of try to introduce a, a little bit in, in yeah. 94, but this definitely kind of gets that ball rolling a little bit further. It's like the Shadysiders are the ones that die. You've, right. And <laughs> well, one also thing, really cool thing that I didn't, uh, that, you know, you don't think about when you're watching this f- the first time through until it gets revealed is like, this is the location of the mall too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when you take that into consideration, it's like, whoa, that's really interesting that this all this stuff is connected. We might have also failed to mention that kind of what got the ball rolling in 94 was uh, kind of a spat between Sunnyside, uh, Sunnyvale and Shadyside and uh, a little bit of a car accident. And Sam basically uncovering Sarah's body, the, the witch's body. And uh, that's kind of what s- sort of sets everything into motion. Um and then this is kind of progressing that story a little bit, a little bit further, because we've got the the one counselor who is like a good guy. And then but, you know, he's having problems. He's, you know, having headaches and stuff like that. And he eventually turns into the Nightwing killer. Um, what I also kind of liked was seeing I, I don't remember the character's name and I don't know the actor's name, but he was in Halloween. Uh, what was that 2018? The the kind of reboot Halloween movie. And he was the like goofy nerd guy kind of there who then tried to take advantage of, of Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter. It was kind of funny to see him playing a very similar character in this as well. He's the kind of longer hair, heavier set guy. And mm-hmm. then he get, kind of meets his end too. But, uh, I also was kind of surprised that some kids met, met their end in this, like not just counselors, but yeah. kids. Cause one of the things that, Outside of the burning, you know, none of the Friday the 13th films like had any of the kids getting killed when they had kids at the camp or anything like that. Um, So it was taking that a step further. It kind of takes the the horror rule book and kind of tosses it out. Throws it out the window. It's like the cool teacher. It's it's enjoyable (laughs) to kind of see things kind of strain away from like how they used to be. Right. And I think that's what I liked about this was... I think because obviously this hasn't it probably hasn't resonated with everyone and and not everyone probably enjoyed it or liked it or found something wrong about it. Like uh, when we talk uh, when Leslie and I will talk about what if there's going to be some things that come up in there. We've kind of discussed about with Loki where people are inserting their own personal opinions and stuff into it and, and allowing that to then somehow influence how the movie actually is. But this is just kind of fun and experimental and 
just them testing out ideas. And I think that that's what I enjoyed about it the most. It doesn't mean it has to fire on all cylinders, and it certainly doesn't. Um, as we'll get to kind of one of my issues with 1666, uh, although they do it that way, like at the same time, I can understand, like given through the mechanics of the story and the world that they've set up, I can, I can understand why they did it. But I, I can see why 78 is probably the one that is enjoyed by the most because it is that typical slasher film. Like, yes, it advances the story overall, but it does it within the context of 1978 and the current crisis that they're dealing with there, rather than this overreaching or overarching crisis that they set up in 94 and 66 addresses. It's the one that you could watch on your own, fully isolated from the other two and still enjoy. Yeah. Without needing to know anything else. All you got to do is really skip that opening scene and that's about it. You could probably even watch the opening scene because you do get the little recap thing at the beginning that you can always kind of skip. But you you could you could even watch it with that and just be like, oh, OK, that's something that they're going to deal with. And, and the other ones. But even that, yeah, you could isolate it, narrow it down and and just watch it and in of itself it could stand alone as its own movie mm-hmm. um so i think that that's why that one succeeds more than the others um but then we get the basic resolution of okay well the, her hand needs to be reunite, reunited with her body where's the hand hands in the tree in the mall so it's a nice like callback again to kind of the first the first one and uh reuniting those things but once those are reunited that's where dina kind of goes back to 1666 and that's where 1666 really picks up. This is kind of, um, so this is my little issue. I was kind of saying there before is we have all of these current actors who are playing characters in 78 and playing characters in 94, which I think it's actually very clever that they could reuse the actors for different roles and still have it be consistent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I did like that aspect of it. But when you get to the historical aspect, so this is not intended to be like racist or anything like that, but it's when you look at the colonial time period and stuff like that, uh, when when you have Dina, who is who is African American, walking around in 1666. Now she is Seraphir, but they only they they decide to use the actors as if they're living these roles out. So I understand that the character of Seraph Seraphir herself is white, but we're being we're seeing it as Dina perceives everything. So she's seeing her friends and stuff like that. And so, like, that's where I can kind of be like, okay, f- you, I, I understand what you're doing, but if you were going to try to approach this in a purely historical context, like, this w- you this wouldn't be happening, right? Like, the, she would have regrettably been a slave if she were black in, colon- like, in colonial times. But they do kind of show that she sees things through the eyes of Sarah Fear and, and these the actors playing these roles, like her brother, Josh playing mm-hmm. her little brother in, in, in uh, Sarah fears, little brother is, is more for the audience to know, like, this is how she's perceiving it. So I can overlook kind of the historical inaccuracy to it, but at the same time for, obviously I was a history major. So it, it, it just niggles at the back of my brain. Like this probably wasn't a stick in anyone else's butt. 
but it, it was it was for me a little bit. But I got over it because I again within the mechanics of the universe that they are telling the story in, it, it, I understand what they were doing. Yeah, it definitely didn't bother me at all. Like I, I get what I right. This, so it's like you, you have the characters. They're gonna be playing different roles. It's how right. it's gonna be. Like it, it, it just yeah. <laughs> it was it was one of those things where I was just like, eh, I shouldn't. But it's the it's the history side of me that's like, ah, you can't do that. And and knowing just kind of some of colonial history. But they did. Well, agree to disagree, maybe. Uh, but they did do it. <laughs> well, they did it. Uh, they did it. And and like I said, it doesn't really. That oh, hold on. That does that bothers you, but the. Them building an entire mall around a tree doesn't bother you? No, because that's not, like, the first time that that's been done. An entire mall? They, they would have bulldozed that fucking tree. No, not if that tree was... Okay, first off, you gotta look... <laughs> remember, it's okay, we're getting, into a, we're getting into a side <laughs> argument here that has nothing to do with the review of the rest of the, rest of the episode. Uh, okay, first off, knowing who's behind everything that's going on, Right. And the connection that that tree has to the history of the community. Don't you think they're going to make sure they would have just built them all somewhere else? No, they would. There was this specific reason that spot was chosen. Because, again, the, uh, 1660, okay. well, there's the tunnels, uh, the location of um, of the good cabin. And it would have at least been like outside of the mall. No. Yeah. Why in the center? Have you not seen trees in malls before? Yeah, they fucking plant them. <laughs> they don't build around them. <laughs> There's not much difference there. There is a difference structurally. <laughs> yes, now we have become an architecture podcast. Little did we know that this is where Critics Not Cynics would be going. I, I think you're getting a little cynical now. Structurally, they would not have built an entire mall around also, the, the entire thing probably would have collapsed on those tunnels. Come on. Eh, I don't know. This, what this, they, no, they, I mean, like, if you look at, if you're, if you're going to go with the supernatural aspect of it, okay. the tunnels are created okay. by the devil, whatever, you know, they're going to be reinforced. But uh, getting, juice. getting back to the topic at hand and the things that really matter, um, I did like uh, the, the, the story with the pastor. Um, I kind of wished it would have focused more on that. Like mm-hmm. it wouldn't have just been a one kind of like one event thing because that is kind of where we get to see some characters or at least actors who survived in, in the previous iterations actually die. Uh, but we don't really get any preamble to it. It just kind of happens. The, the thing that I think is kind of the weak points of 66 is that the character development wasn't so much there. Um, the characters were very one-sided, one-dimensional characters. Like, the guy that was, like, a drunk trying to get with the chick. Yeah. And, like, eventually it was, like, calling him a witch and all that. Very one-dimensional character. Like, and it kind of seemed like that was how most of them were. The only ones that were written well were, like, the pastor yeah. and, like, the two main chicks. Well, there, there's... Well, the, the pastor, not not as much because he doesn't have as much screen time, but, like, the uh, the widow, the, yeah, I think yeah. is who you're referring yeah, to. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because they put all their focus on that because that is the impetus to what is now impacting mm. in the, the 90s and, and everything that's happened uh, since 1666. Uh, they Yeah, they kind of kept it one note because they're kind of expecting pretty much almost everybody to be familiar with the Crucible and how kind of fear-mongering and, uh, went on in that time. Um, I think we're currently living in a little bit of that time right now ourselves. But uh, yeah, it was just like we're going to accuse the girls are going to accuse uh, so-and-so is going to accuse and everything like that. They're not going to listen to reason, which is really, I think also one of the interesting aspects because the one person who tries to be the voice of reason is the person that's responsible for everything. And I don't, I don't know if you kind of were leaning that way. I was kind of like, okay, like I actually so- wasn't, um, but it might've been cause I, I will say there was a point when I was watching it, uh, I disengaged for a little bit, not for lack of like interest in it. It's just like, I, I, f- I think something came up and I was distracted for a little bit. It's just when you write certain characters one dimensional and you try to write other people as having some sustenance. Right. Then you're kind of like suspecting right. them as being the bad guy. And then I kind of ended up being right. So, but, but that was a nice enough twist for me when we, when we find out that this is the good ancestor mm-hmm. and that he is the one who started this all off, that he is what causes these shady siders to go homicidal and kill people to kind of keep the the deal with the devil going to get wealth and and have everything good happen for him uh because then it gives everything else a greater context like i said that opening scene in 94 like he knew to be there so quick because he set that up to happen that way to get the hero cop status and everything like that um so i mean kind of that's that's what so it, it being titled 1666 is a little bit of a mis, misnomer because only about 40 to 50 minutes of it take place in 1666 and then the rest of it's in back in 94. Which I kind of think worked. Oh, it worked. Because I think if they spent too much time in 66, it would have drug on. Absolutely. Um, because, like, again, we're getting the resolution to the story that was set up in, in what is the weaker part of 94, but this segment of 94 it was very strong. Yeah, it was a lot stronger, uh, especially when you have kind of the um, the one guy, the graffiti artist, like because you knew when he gave his card to the kid in the first one, like that was going to play a, a factor later on. Uh, the whole sequence in the mall there, you know, was I thought was fantastic. Uh, and the final fight with Nick Good was was really well. Now, of course, you have the the really bad line, but I know they had to do it good is bad <laughs> it's like okay see i don't think you know why they called it fear street um, oh because her name is sarah, sarah fear, fear f-e-i-r uh, it was her f-i-e-r I-E-R. whatever I-E-R. yeah and then they took that and they made it the word fear um, well okay i don't think you know that this is based off the long-running book series by rl stein who wrote it as fear street who may or may not have done that in his original books because i have not read all of those i haven't either <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um officer good ended up being officer bad he, he indeed was bad that was, I mean, I know they had to do that, of course. but it was like, oh, uh-huh. it's probably in the book too. <laughs> if you think about it, well, like, I don't know. I actually don't know if this this is actually from the books. I think uh, that this okay. is just set in that world. 
because um, I've looked at because you can actually buy the entire Kindle collection for like over two hundred dollars because there's so many books. That sounds miserable. Well, there's like thirty plus books, I think. Um, for like this universe. For for Fear Street, for Fear, Fear Street? Street, yeah. It's like he wrote many. he wrote that because he I believe he wrote those as more of a teenage um, companion to Goosebumps. So Goosebumps were for, like, the younger kids. Mm -hmm. And then Fear Street was for those teenage years. So he wrote as many many Goosebumps as he wrote, which then he, like, rebooted it in 2000. It was, like, Goosebumps 2000. Uh, The man is prolific. He may not be, like, a a substantial writer. Like, he's not a Stephen King, but he is definitely a Stephen King light. Like, I heard that he also started uh, Jablinski Gaming. Um, I, I believe you have that confused with Jack Black from the Goosebumps <laughs> movie. Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm pretty uh, pretty spot on here. I need you to go to Google. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it, it is an expansive series. 30 plus books. Uh, Who has time to read all that? You're talking to a guy who's in the middle of a 54-book series setting up an entire universe. Okay, who besides you has time to read all that? And those are far longer than than the Fear Street. Fear Street, a a typical Fear Street book is about 134 pages. Oh, 134? I thought it was going to be like three. No, no, no. That's probably about how he can turn them out so quickly is they're very short, very concise. And like I said, they're you know, written in the style of Goosebumps just for a little bit older generation. So, um, so in total, they're probably still shorter than like one of the George R. R. Martin books. Uh, no, cause it would probably three, three to one George, at least first George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones book. Think about like text size and page length, because if they're Maybe. the same size as like Goosebumps books. Maybe they were like bigger text size, smaller. I don't know books. if all goosebumps are bigger text size, but for the most part, uh, it's it's been a while. I haven't been a kid in like a long time, twenty plus years. Don't don't, <laughs> don't show your age here. <laughs> we all know I'm we all know I'm ancient. Uh, but anyways, uh, getting back to the subject at hand, uh, yeah. So it all ends. You know, Nick Good is the bad guy. He's the one who's caused all these events. They they beat him. Um, well, not only did they beat him, they kill him. Uh, I believe, what, stabbed right through the eye or shot through the eye? Um, like I forget. I think yeah. she gets his gun and she shoots him because she actually had all the books because, like, he stabbed her yeah. and and it didn't do anything to her because I, I knew that they had gathered those books together, but it never, like, read in my mind that she would be wearing them. I was like, oh, they serve some other purpose. But uh, overall, yeah, I... I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, again, not everything works and not everything fires in all cylinders, but I think the director did a really good job. I think writing, for the most part, did a good job. Cast did a fantastic job. Most of these people, outside of, like, Sadie Sink uh, and a couple other two actors, uh, actresses, rather, uh, I didn't really, like, know of. Um, The brother was in one of the Transformers films, mm -hmm. but I think only briefly. Right. Might have been like a very small role. He would have been in Last Night. You're talking about her brother, like Dino's brother. Yes, it would have been Last Night. Um, Yeah, I think it was a very small role. Yeah, it was like two seconds. Um, But overall, like I thought everyone did a very good job. Uh, I would like to see this continue. I would like kind of a, not necessarily dealing with the same characters, Mm -hmm. but... um, 
set in the same universe, kind of telling a similar story, maybe a little crafted a fine crafted fine tool it a little bit more uh with the way if you're going to present it like this as a three-part maybe be clever with the writing or how you want to present it to where you could do that because i one of the things i wanted to do as soon as i heard about it was like okay with 94 for 78 and then 66 i was like i want to watch 66 78 then 94 and then once i kind of saw how the story was playing out i was like yeah that can't happen um, not without being things being widely out of context and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, I mean, that's not to say like the issues that we have with it. I'm sure that there's people out there that think that these are just like grade a perfect movie. Well, like, I mean, considering some recent horror stuff that I've watched, it's, this was definitely better than most. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's really, it was actually really like, like we said, we didn't expect it. You expected the kind of a PG 13 mm-hmm. type of thing with the gore and stuff. And I mean, they went all for it with that head, that head kill. Like that was totally, I was like, Oh, she's going to get out of it. Like one of them's going to save her. And then boom. Oh no. As far as like storyline wise goes, I would say that this series was written better than the latest Conjuring movie. I think. Yeah. Like overall story wise, yeah, it was definitely better than that. Yeah, Conjuring. Uh, although I liked it, there there are issues with it definitely. and uh, with how they they rolled out the story. It's I I would say it's probably the weakest I don't of the know Conjuring if we ever films. Got to covering that. We haven't. Uh, we have not yet covered it on the podcast. You've you've been gone for for a while months <laughs> it's it's been a while i mean i forget the last thing we covered we you were on our incredible hulk uh mcu franchise review which was the second of our six episodes we've done so far on mcu franchise review so so few it's been a bit and and to be fair you know like as leslie and i have talked about ad nauseum uh, in prior episodes we were in our busy season at work it was very just easy for us to be like okay one episode of loki to cover for a week then let's fit in an MCU franchise review, Loki MCU franchise review, and we're good. So now we should be back to kind of a a nice rotational order where Leslie will be on for one episode uh, when we're not covering horror stuff. Uh, and if you want to join us on those MCU franchise reviews, you're more than welcome to. Um, but uh, yeah, so overall score wise, uh, individually scored, uh, I would give part one. I'd say a three out of five. I'd give part two a four and a half out of five. And I'd give uh, part three a three and a half out of five. Overall, I think uh, as as a one piece by itself, I'd say it's a four. Um, I'm fairly similar. I'd say more like a three, four, and then like a three and a half. Just kind of... Okay. All around, like I would definitely watch it again. Oh, absolutely! Um, and then for total score, maybe like a three seven five or a four. Like when you put it all together, I think it definitely improves. Yeah, it, it really improves that first part because um, you you get all that context going straight through. I think I'll probably revisit it here in October, uh, getting into the Halloween season. Like even if you, I think even if you add the end scene from, I that wouldn't work. If even if you had the end scene from the third one to the first one, it wouldn't work because then you're like just throwing that in there and you're like, wait, how did we get here? Yeah, there there's way there would have to be a way you could do it because I mean there I think if you re-edit it uh, you well, would, yeah, you would just have to re-edit it. 
you might have to re you might have to re reshoot um one scene with uh Jillian Jacobs kind of just like oh here here's what happened blah 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 killed the kids killed my sister blah 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 and then move on with the rest of it um outside of that and they may have filmed that who knows uh cuz we don't see deleted scenes or anything like mm-hmm. that but uh yeah i i would definitely recommend it um I know my sister-in-law was interested in it uh, when I mentioned it briefly a little bit back. Uh, yeah, there's nothing really egregious about it. I think most horror fans are going to enjoy it. Um, it does take advantage of being, I mean, it, it, it does an R like it's, it's an R rating. It, it, it certainly is not trying to be a teenage type like horror film, uh, you know, and, and cheaping you on kills and thrills and stuff like that. Like I wouldn't overall, I wouldn't particularly say it's like super scary, but I'm also such a seasoned horror person that like nothing rarely scares me anymore. Um, there are a few exceptions. I will say like the first conjuring film, when I watched that, when I was working at the movie theater and I was in the movie theater all by myself, like, yeah, that one kind of got me here and there with some stuff, but, uh, overall it's very serviceable, very enjoyable Definitely check it out on Netflix. Uh, don't think you'll go wrong if you're a horror fan. Uh, any other final words from you? No, I think that basically covers it. All right. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Um, if you're not following us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics or follow us on Facebook, uh, CriticsNotCynicsPodcast. Uh, you can write into the podcast at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. And you can basically subscribe if you're not already subscribed to the podcast on pretty much every podcasting service, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, Audible, uh, iTunes, just about anywhere. And uh, if you could leave us a rating and a review of the podcast, uh, we'd appreciate it. It helps us get it out there. And we do, as always, I know I say it every time, we have stuff in the works it's just finding the time to get it around and get it all worked out but we hope to bring you some big new things in the near future uh so all right guys we will talk to you next time